Hello and welcome to the Addicts Anonymous podcast. I'm your host, Jim. Today's episode 229 and we're going to be interviewing Joshua. How you doing, Joshua? Good. Glad to be here. Glad to be here. I'm glad you're here. Excited to do this as usual. So let's start off with your childhood. How was it growing up for you? Uh, I grew up in Florida, um, pretty middle class family. Um, mom's a police officer, father, stepfather was a cab driver, um, you know, average grades in school and things of that nature. Uh, it wasn't until about sixth grade that I, I discovered this thing called alcohol um, and, and started um, started drinking with, you know, somewhat frequency uh, to be in sixth grade. Um, that's really young. Sixth grade is about 12 years old, right? Right. Yeah, that's really young. Who introduced you to it? Uh, just some buddies of mine had an older brother and uh, we ended up skipping school one day. And uh, I remember the first time I drank, it was, a, it was a bottle of Jack Daniels, and I ended up throwing up in the toilet uh, for most of that afternoon that we had ditched school. Did you like it when you first tried it? Oh, yeah. I definitely know that there was definitely a connection there uh, when I first tried it. I mean, throwing up or getting sick didn't really uh, impede my desire to continue to do it um, at all. So it's definitely something that I made a connection with at a pretty young age. And that's some heavy duty stuff to be starting off with, Jack Daniels. Yes, that was it. And that, that that fell with me way into my adult life. So that was your main poison alcohol? Uh alcohol and cocaine. Okay. Um, as I got as I got older and, and got into high school, um, you know, cocaine became pretty prevalent. Um, it slowed down for a couple of years while I was in the military. Um, but then once I got out, um, I kind of returned to that too. Going back a little bit to your childhood, how was it? How was your life like pre-drinking and then post-drinking? What what changed in your life? Like before you ever had a drink, I mean, were, were you more active with friends or, you know, stuff like that? I definitely think I was more friendly um, okay. before I started drinking. Um, you know, I had less to hide. So I was more of an open person. Um, enjoyed dialogues, enjoyed doing, you know, things that, you know, 10, 11 year olds enjoyed doing. I think once I started drinking, um, things became more secretive in my life. Um, I had to begin to hide things or had to begin to start manipulating individuals or circumstances in order to not get caught, right? In order to continue to be able to, uh, to drink when those opportunities did arise. So I, I definitely think one of the major turning points was, you know, I began that trail of dishonesty as I moved forward uh, without even really realizing it, right? I mean, at, at 12, 13 years old, I didn't think uh, I was paying very much attention um, to my intentions, right? Um, or why I was being dishonest. I just knew that I wanted to get away with what I wanted to get away with. And those were the means necessary to do that. How um, how frequently were you drinking? Um, you know, I think <clears throat> sixth or seventh grade, probably kind of once a week, once every other week. As I moved more into my high school years, it became more of a weekly thing. Um, weekends, stuff like that, parties on the stuff, you know, events. So, did you um have a good social life growing up? I did. I did. Um, well, I mean, I guess it was kind of, I guess in hindsight, it was pretty closed off. I mean, my social life was built around, 
um, you know, drinking and using, um, and people that did that and, and engaged in those activities. So, I mean, I guess in hindsight, it was probably more closed off than what the average person experienced. Um, I didn't do a lot of sports. I didn't do a lot of school clubs. I didn't do a lot of things of that nature. Um, but I did have a friend group that um, allowed me to, you know, keep up relationships, but at the same time maintain the objective of catching some kind of buzz. So did you find yourself gravitating during like high school as you were more frequently using? Were you gravitating towards that crowd of people who used? Right. I mean, I definitely um, gravitated towards gravitated towards those the, the population. Then I kind of went to the restaurant industry when I turned sixteen. I started working um, in the locations that I was in. That just happened to be a lot of drinking, um, a, a lot of drug use in that environment, just in the restaurant industry. Um, that I experienced. So it was it was pretty easy to continue to um, obtain and participate in, right? My friend groups got a little bit older as the people that I was working with um, were older than I am. So I probably had less and less high school friends and more and more work friends um, as I began that cycle, working nights, working weekends and things of that nature. Okay. So once you graduated high school, what were you doing with your life? Were you still in the restaurant business? No, I joined the army. Um, okay. I, I, I recruiter. I mean, true story. Um, I was 18 years old. I had moved out. I guess I graduated in May ish. Um, so junior July, this recruiter comes knocking on the door. Literally had to move the beer cans out of the way. It was like a like a movie. Um, the guy sits down, lays out what I could be making. I was like, well, I'm not doing anything else, anyways. And ended up joining the army, um, and had a really good experience in it. That was from 1993 to um, 1996. Um, had had a real good time. Um, was actually the responsible one, oddly enough. Um, when my buddies and I would go out drinking or or things of that nature, I tended to be the driver. I tended to be the one that. Um, kind of set some boundaries or some ground rules to help get people out of trouble or avoid just mishaps. Uh, it was probably one of the most responsible times um, of my life when I go back and I look at that, um, look at that, that era of 18 to 21. So you were able to hold your life together easier. Mm -hmm. uh, that, that did not hold though. When I got out at, at, at 21, 22, um, I got out for the first time and it, it took a pretty quick downhill slide. I went back into the restaurant industry, um, was pr pursuing culinary education. Um, from there, it kind of led me right back to, to drinking. Um, I, mean, I was to the point where I was, you know, knocking off a fifth of vodka a day at 22, 23 years old. Really? Um, yeah. Then at 25, um, I decided that I had enough and went back into the army. Um, and, and where I stayed there till um, the end of 2010. So um, I had a couple different experiences with that. That in-between time was definitely problematic when it came to drinking and when it came to cocaine use and, you know, the, the consequences that I suffered at that point in my life um, from my drinking and drug use. What kind of consequences were you looking at? You know, back then it was arrests, you know, a couple DUIs, um, you know, I'd lost a, a pretty significant relationship in my life at that time. Um, 
definitely a lot of disconnect with family and friends. Um, very, um, very um, isolated in my behaviors and who I chose to be around. You were very isolated. I find that a lot with drug use and alcohol use that we tend to isolate ourselves. It's just mm -hmm. like, I always, I, I've said this before in the podcast, addiction is a lonely place to be. Yeah. You feel well. like you're the only one going through it. Mm -hmm. Well, it, it kind of gets this idea that, you know, I thought mine was special, right? That nobody quite understood what I was going through, what challenges that I had to maintain in order to keep that charade up um, that nobody would understand you know, what addiction or alcoholism looked like. So, yeah. Uh, and, and that was, in, you know, part of my recovery journey was learning that I wasn't that special. Um, and that, you know, there is quite a bit of similarities in individuals as they progress through the disease of addiction. Yeah. So at what age, you said you were into the military till 2010. What age was that when you got out? How old so were you? So it made me, oof, I'm going to tell myself now. Uh, that would have put me at about 35, 36, just nice about 36. Okay. Um, and then it went down again pretty hard, to be honest with you. I came back. I was in Iraq from uh, mid, from the beginning of 2007 until, you know, first quarter of 2008. Um, came back. Um, drinking really ramped up at that time. Um, ended up, I, would, I was married at the time to my first wife. Um, that ended relatively quickly. That relationship did not withstand, um, you know, the increase in drinking at all. And then it was, I came to a point where it was just a better option to not be in the military. I mean, I essentially kind of moved away from what was potentially or what was on track to be a pretty stellar career. Um, but I made the decision to, you know, put alcohol and, you know, my egoism in front of that, um, as opposed to just conforming or getting some help. Yeah. So during your time in the military, what were some of the things that kept you sober? Uh, well, fear, I think was a good one. Okay. <laughs> I mean, hypothetically, if you were found like, you know, with a, a DUI or, you know, public drunkenness, what would happen in the military? So I know you guys go by what's it called? The Uniform Code of Military Justice? UCMJ. Um, you know, that was a pretty intensive boundary for me. Um, you know, obviously, I didn't want that kind of repercussion or negative consequence in my life. I wanted to be able to have something you know, in my life that was untarnished by drugs and alcohol and the military was it for, for most of it till the very end. Um, I was very proud of my service, very happy to be in the army. Um, I didn't, you know, it, for me, it was a, it was a, it was a positive experience. What was your but, job in the army? So I got out as a chief warrant officer too. Uh, I was a logistics warrant officer. So, a logistics officer. What kind of thing, what would be in your daily routine? Um, so I was responsible for moving food and water and ice and other commodities around, uh, around the battlefield, so to speak. Okay. It's um, an so important lot, job. Yeah. So it was, it was a lot of, it was a lot of coordination, you know, your typical logistics stuff. 
um, to be able to service, you know, brigade size element, you know, 3,000, guys. So I had some responsibility. And you enjoyed doing it? I did enjoy doing it. It was, it was, it was definitely a good life. Um, and it was something that, that I felt that I was pretty good at. Did you ever think about going back? No, I'm done now. I'm 48 now. Okay. <laughs> I've done all I'm going to do in, uh, in those boots. So, I, you know, when I got out this last time, um, I went to grad school uh, for professional counseling um, and kind of moved through that rigor. Um, be honest with you, I was on a quest to try to answer my own problems and then realized I had to get a job and beat myself. So, yeah. um, you know, went to grad school, got my, my graduate degree and, and did the requirements uh, to become a licensed counselor. So, you know, and, and now I work in addictions. I'm a program director for a residential treatment program um, that allows me every day to participate with, with those that are seeking recovery or actively engaging. Yeah. So. What is you so basically you were just getting into the public sector in 2010. What mm -hmm. did you drinking at 2010? How was you drinking once you got out of the military? Because you said towards the end you were pretty bad. Yeah, it was heavy. I mean, I was probably drinking, ooh, you know, almost a fifth of Canadian mist a day. Um, a fifth is the big bottle and the, the wide bottle, right? Yeah. Yeah. Believe it or not, I was not called. I still, I just never, I never looked at the size of the bottle. I just grabbed the biggest jug with the handle. I just called right. it a handle. Yeah. I, I think it was 1.75 liters. That right? right. Okay. Right. Yeah. So I do know. Yeah. So I saw, so you know, I had a couple of years there where, uh, you know, I was fortunate coming out of the military that I did have some money um, saved. So I didn't have to necessarily go straight to work. Um, unfortunately for me, I didn't have to go straight to work. So I sat there and drank, um, pretty heavily for a good six months, got another DUI, um, you know, just pretty much had given up on everything, went through my first divorce, all those things. So did you lose your license? Um, driver's license? Yeah. Um, well, I had one of those work licenses. A what license? I had, I was allowed to drive to work. You were allowed to drive to work, okay. Yeah. Um, but then on the way to probation, I actually got a ticket for running a red light. They suspended my license. Oh, um, shit. <laughs> on the way to probation. But, you know, those those things, um, you know, were all self-inflicted. You know, and they were all a result of my choices and in, in, in drinking and, and continuing to live that lifestyle. Um, well, until my mid-30s, knowing that it doesn't have potential to, to bear any kind of positive results yeah so going over to the cocaine who was the first person to introduce you to that oh, man a guy named kevin um I as you know i just he was an older guy that we used to hang out with um i was probably 14 maybe 15 it's really young yet um so that was the the first time I had done it, and then you know, how did it make you feel? Pretty good, right? I mean, people do cocaine because it works, right? Yeah, uh, I, I did a lot of cocaine in my lifetime. Yeah, yeah. towards the end of my career, I didn't like cocaine as much. It just hurt my nose, and I really hate the come down. The come down sucks yeah. for yeah. cocaine. Yeah, it is. Like it with is. Adderall, the come down wasn't so hard. Yeah, 
Yeah, I mean, I would, you know, do the cocaine to get up and then drink to come down. Um, exactly. And then you just end up in this really weird cycle where nothing seems, everything is so inebriated and so fuzzy and so paranoid that nothing really seems to make a whole lot of sense. And I think it just propels um, ego and, and, and selfishness. At least it did for me, um, where I was just reaching for facts of things that I was still holding together and using them, using it as evidence that there no, no problem existed. Right. Um, but really, it was just so much inebriation that I couldn't tell hell if I was sober or being successful or not, because every time I turned around, I was going up on one and coming down on the other. Yeah. Um, so it didn't leave me a whole lot of room for, for rational thought or um, the ability to maintain any kind of serious insight. So let me ask you this. At the height of your consumption, how much cocaine were you doing? I know you said you were doing about a handle a day of the, the lit. Well, so it was called Canadian Mist, real quick, going back to the liquor. Yeah. But what's Canadian Mist? What is it? Is, uh, is it like a vodka? Is it a bourbon? Uh, it's, a, it's like a whiskey. It's a Canadian. It's like bourbon. a whiskey. Okay. Um, yeah. I like the liquor. In the cocaine consumption, where I mean, I was doing a couple hundred dollars a day um of cocaine i mean it was quite quite extensive yeah. yeah cocaine is a hell of a drug just like rick james said on the dave Chappelle show it'll right. get you man because yeah it makes you feel invincible like a million bucks yeah but it only feels like that for so long right yeah i mean it's an iq test if you're doing it you fail right um, yeah and then um and a lot of things I hear, like you just said, is so many people mix it with drinking. I did all the time. We'd go out to the bar in New York City because I live in Jersey and I used to work in New York. So get some cocaine, be snorting it in the bathroom, then go out to the bar, have a couple shots. And mm -hmm. that would bring us down a little bit. Like you said, go have some more cocaine to bring us back up. Yeah. yeah. yeah it's a pretty insane cycle um, to be involved in. And, you know, it, it creates, for me, it did anyways, it created a lot of tunnel vision. You know, I wasn't able to see anything outside of that circle or see anything um, positive because I was constantly either induced happiness or just dreading life, looking to get happy again. Um, but normal things, like, you know, taking a walk in the park or things like that, you know, didn't really bring any kind of serious joy. Um, to my life, anyways, when I was in the throes of it. Yeah, it's, it, we kind of lose, like you said, the blinders go on and we lose sight of everything in our lives that was once important to us or the things we used to enjoy, things we used to do. Right. It's amazing how it destroys us from the inside out. Very much so. Well, I mean, it's a soul killer. Um, you know, not only is it it's, it's a bodily and physically damaged, from the inside out. Um, I think it's, it's the spiritual damage for me that was done um, was probably the greatest thing to overcome. You know, I was fortunate and a pretty healthy guy. I was able to, 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 to move past the use and, you know, resume some healthy activities and, and begin to make up for some of that detriment. But it took a good many years for me to get past the spiritual hole um, that I had dug and put myself in by you know just the continued use uh, that was that was definitely a more difficult part of the journey yeah
So let me ask you this, a quick question. When you did your drugs and the alcohol, did you prefer to do it alone or are you doing it with people? I started out as a young man preferring to do it with people. By the time um, I was at the height of my use, I would go home, lock the door, close the blinds, and that's where I stayed until I ran out. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I had no desire, excuse me, I had no desire to be around other people or the idea of sharing or of it being kind of a, a party mentality really didn't exist. It was something that was was done in isolation. And and, and I think that contributed, you know, to, to the spiritual whole because I had really cut myself off from anything or anybody that could bring elements of positiveness um, or any kind of insight to what I was doing. You know, I had closed that hole to such a point that the only thing that I was allowing to filter in was the drugs and the alcohol. Yeah. So what was what you consider to be your rock bottom? Oof. You know, um, you know, I'd, I'd lost a really good job, um, had made a, uh, some really, really tough um, choices in my life that were definitely um, impactful to those around me. Um, you know, as I began to really start affecting others besides myself. And, um, you know, I just hit this point where I was like, I'm done. Um, you know, I just, I just couldn't do it. I physically just couldn't do it anymore. Um, you know, I, mean, I remember going to the bathroom and my pee was so brown um, just from the dehydration and all of the, the, the liquor and stuff like that. Really? It turns your pee brown? I never had that. I mean, it was just horrible. Was it? Uh, were you bleeding? I don't even know, to be quite honest with you. It ended up clearing up as I quit drinking, so I assumed that there was a relation there. Yeah, uh, I would be but, terrified if that happened to me. Yeah, I mean, I just really got to this point where I was like, man, what do you do? Um, you know, I mean, it, I, I had lost that. I'd already lost a military career. I'd already lost two wives at that point. Um, I was on my way to losing a third. Um, and that was just enough for me to say, hey, man, I got to do something different. Um, and I was fortunate enough to have the resources to uh, to go to treatment um, and, and get into a treatment program and be able to use those resources and, and start building that skill set that I needed to be able to not only um, be sober, because I managed sobriety um, for a few years throughout that. Uh, what I didn't manage to do real well was recovery and actually changing the way that I think about life and the way I see things. I was still very self-centered, very, very ego driven, even though um, there were points within there where I wasn't using. Yeah. So how was it your, <clears throat> how has your recovery been since you, what, what what's your recovery day? How long are you sober? So um, just under six years. Oh, that's that's awesome. That's a long, long time, my friend. Yeah. So um, it's been good. It's been tough. Um, you know, I'd say the first 12, 18 months was, was pretty rough um, where I did some white knuckling and things of that nature. Still didn't want to surrender to a, to a higher power. Didn't want to um, give up the self-centeredness. Um, 
that it takes to really live, in my opinion, um, to live uh, live a recovered life and to not have to live in that darkness anymore. Um, I was pretty bitter for about a year. Um, this idea that I wasn't going to be able to drink anymore, I wasn't going to use anymore. Um, you know, I was pretty angry about it, to be quite honest with you. Um, even though I knew, and that's, that's, I guess that's what makes it so baffling and cunning, right? Is even though I knew how bad it was for me and where it took me, I was still angry that it wasn't a part of my life. Isn't it crazy how the addict mind works? It's, it's insane, man. It's insane. So many times I sat there drinking, saying, This is bad for you. You don't even enjoy it. You cry half the time because you're so depressed from right. the drinking. But yet, the next day, you go out and buy a bottle. Yep. So what's life like for you nowadays? Um, life now is good. You know, um, like I said, I'm, I'm, I'm a licensed counselor. I'm, you know, I'm working in a long-term residential treatment program where I get to work with, you know, folks that are coming in and recovering every day. Um, I work my own personal program besides that. Um, a partner and I who's also in recovery, we just started um, Simply Sober. Right, which is kind of an apparel line, a lifestyle line um, that we're working on that we launched at the end of last year. So, you know, I've got good connection with my kids again. Right, um, they're able to to come over and and really kind of participate um, not only in my life, but I'm able to participate in theirs, which is which is a pretty big deal because um, there was a time where I had shunned that and kind of closed that door um, to them. And, and my children are pretty young. I mean, they're 15 and 11. So, um, yeah, so being able to to kind of begin to right some of those wrongs and begin to make up what it is that I need to make up to them um, on a daily basis is, is pretty important and pretty gratifying. So, but overall, um, you know, I mean, I still have my days where I struggle. Um, I wish I could say that I wake up and, and don't reckon or don't ever have the thought of, of uh, wanting to to use in the context of hey this would be nice or remember when um, I think it takes a lot of discipline on my part to kind of get back into those fundamentals um, as I continue to move forward in recovery and keep working with people working with people at, at, and other people in recovery uh, whether they're early recovery or long term recovery has really been key for me um, it kind of allows me to to bring the memories of that misery up and not let them be so distant. It's good to keep in mind what we once went through. So we know we don't ever want to go back. Exactly. So getting towards the end here, um, did you have any tips or tricks for people that are watching and listening that you can, you know, give them, advise them on? The sooner you surrender, the sooner you will get better. Um, you know, if I had to say one thing uh, about my recovery and the people that I see with recovery that I want, it's honesty. Um, you know, the big book talks about rigorous honesty and without it, there's no way to get sober. At least there was no way for me to get sober. I found myself lying over stupid stuff. Like, did I watch the game last night or, you know, did I see something? I mean, oh yeah, sure I did. Right. Um, it's it's that attempt to kind of fit in or to not be judged, to be part of the in group of that conversation. Um, 
and I just found myself repeatedly being dishonest, um, not only myself, but with those around us. And it wasn't until I really kind of sat there and said, you know, I mean, you're, you're kind of full of shit. <laughs> um, yeah. You're kind of full of it um, that I was able to get better. So I would encourage anyone who wants to get into recovery or maintain recovery that you got to be brutally honest with yourself and those around you. Um, if not that for me, at least, um, it leads me down a pretty secretive path where I begin to create, um, I begin to create potential to go to my old way of thinking, to go back to that self-centeredness and to go back towards that egoism that I was living in. Yeah. So we're talking about your recovery. Sounds like you're pulling the big book. So you, you use a 12 step program for yourself. I do. I, I do use a 12 step program. Um, I've used some other different kinds of therapies too. I mean, for me, I think it's a way, you know, it may not be the way for, for everyone. Uh, for me, it's been successful. Uh, so it's something that I keep as a part of my program um, and try to focus on. That's good. So how do you feel? It looks like we're getting towards the end here. Feel good. It's pretty, it's pretty interesting. This is good. Uh, this is definitely something that I would do again. And, uh, you know, it's it good. It's a good experience, right? To, to be able to share. Hopefully this helps someone. Hopefully somebody's able to connect. Um, and, you know, hopefully somebody uh, decides a different way of living with it. Awesome. And that's what I love to hear. So many people that agree to do these interviews, they always say, if it'll help someone, I'll do it. You know, because that's the whole point. I know that's one reason I do this because, once I started hearing other people's stories for the first time, that was like, holy shit, I totally connect. I totally right. relate to that. I've been through that. I've done the same things. So I just figured give everyone a platform to tell a story and people could listen and hopefully it helps. Awesome. Yeah. Well, thank Did you, you have anything much. else you want to throw in? No, I appreciate it. Um, thank you very much for the opportunity. Love the channel. Um, and uh, I'll continue to be a viewer. Awesome, man. I really appreciate it. So do me a favor and sit tight for a few minutes. And for everyone that's watching and listening, if you like what you saw and heard, go below and give us a like. Also subscribe to see when we upload new videos. You can check us out on all social media. We're on Twitter, Facebook, Reddit, TikTok, Instagram, you name it, we're on it. I also suggest checking out our website, www.addicts-anonymous.com. There's plenty of free resources as well as free literature. Um, I also suggest waiting for some more information on our book. I will be getting it out hopefully by the end of February, if not middle of March at the latest. It's going to be called Addicts Anonymous, Our Stories. I'll keep you posted and updated about that. So I hope you enjoyed today and until next time.